You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I want to just begin by by talking a little bit about our Christmas series here, Anticipating the Christ. You know, if if you... uh, found out as a young, young person that God had called you to be a prophet, um, you might be excited at first, but I want to tell you, it was not a really fun job. Mostly it meant that you were going to speak truth to power and that power was not going to like anything you had to say. The prophets we know often had very difficult lives and some of them lost their lives for telling the truth. But here's the thing I want you to get today that the prophets, even though they had a hard and difficult calling upon their lives, one thing is for certain, God allowed them to see tiny fragments of the larger picture, anticipating a time when God would send his son and that the whole world would change. The prophets anticipated the Christ. You and I are on the other side of of the coming of Christ. And yet here we are today. Also, we are in a spirit of anticipation, or we should be as believers, anticipating that Christ will come again. And so the theme of anticipation is good for us as we think about the past and the prophets and how that led up to the coming of Christ. But it's good for us as well because we need to always be thinking about the reality that Jesus is coming again And that should bring great joy to our hearts and souls. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these passages from the prophets. And we're going to see how the prophets bring Christ into focus. And as Christ comes into clearer focus for us as we think about the Christmas story, my hope is is that Christ will come into clearer focus for you as you live your life and serve him here in this world and and serve his kingdom, okay? So what we're going to do today is a little different than what we uh, often do. I'm just going to read you two verses, one Old Testament passage and one New Testament passage. So if you will stand with me, you won't have to stand long, okay? So let's stand as we stand together on the solid rock that is God's word. And I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And you will recognize this very familiar prophecy connecting to the coming of the Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Go to the book of Luke, the first chapter. So if you will, if you have it on your app or if you have it uh, there in your hand, your Bible in your hand, let's look at verse 37. So Luke chapter one, verse 37. And I want you to grab a hold of this today. This is one of those, those passages of scripture that we can cling to no matter what we're going through. It's, it's powerful stuff. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Let's say that together. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this moment for us to, to share in your word, this time to share in your word as we think about who you are and God quite frankly, the very miracle of Christmas. 
As we think about the virgin birth, as we think about this story in Luke's gospel, we're reminded, God, that you are the God of miracles and that with you all things are possible. Today, Lord, each of us in this room, we're going to be faced with choices. We're either going to trust you and obey your word, or we're going to continue on our own path, our own way. And so today, God, I pray that every person in this room will place their faith in you as their Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am firmly convinced that it is time for the people of God to believe in the power of God. We say things like that all the time, but I'm not sure that we really understand the implications. We live our lives in such a way as though we we know if you're a believer here today, if you are a Christ follower, you know that God's word has stories of miracle working power. You know that that was possible, but it seems to me as, as I think about how my heart works and as I talk to people in our day and age, so many of us, uh, we've either never really seen the power of God and or if we have, it was kind of off in the distance. I don't know how many of us have really encountered the power of God But I want to say this, I believe that in this time, in this day, in this generation, we need to have a a total experience of the power of God again. We need to stop talking about all the things that are wrong in the world and wrong in the church and wrong in our lives and begin to anticipate that God is going to do something big in our day. I'm telling you, I think we've been paralyzed uh, in in recent years. It's not just our church, but I just think it's American Christianity in a more general sense. We have lost sight of the power of God, and we need to believe that God is going to do great things. And I think that the Christmas season is that time of year when we can reclaim the miraculous power of God. Because the whole story of Christmas is predicated, it's, it's built upon this miracle of God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. As we read there in Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14, it's about the virgin birth. So right there from the very beginning, you have something happening that is impossible, that's beyond logic and, and rationality, but it's truth, it's God's word. So we need to grab a hold of that. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he said this. He said, if a man will not believe in God, he will believe in anything. And if you look around today in our culture, you don't have to look far to see people uh, who are doing just that. We don't have to look very far to realize that people now are believing in anything. Think about how many people are, are completely committed to like a political party and all the empty promises that come from, from, from politics in general. People give their lives to that. They'll, they'll, they'll give all their time and energies to that. They'll believe anything if they think that it gives them a chance for power or, or some kind of privilege. But I want to tell you, there, there are many false idols out there. Christmas season also brings out the, the false idol of crass materialism. So many people that we love so much are putting all of their energies and time into building themselves up a little kingdom that when they die is going to be washed away. Just like a, a, a riding in the sand on the seashore, just one more, one more wave comes up and it's all gone, gone forever. That's the life that people are living. They're, they're literally riding their lives in sand by the seashore and it will not last. We need to realize that people are buying into all manner of, of ideas and ideologies that are empty and will not provide fulfillment for our hearts. 
one of the great voices of our day, an African-American pastor and scholar, Tabiti Anabawale. And that's a mouthful to say, but I think I said it right. I've heard him preach many times. Some of the best sermons I've heard in the last 10 years this brother has preached. He has a powerful spin on Wesley's words. He says this, the moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. I love how he phrases that, that we have to deny the impossible. What most of us do in our lives is we deny the possibilities of God. But when we are truly a people of faith, if we are, if we are going to believe in Christ and we're going to believe in the miracles of Scripture, then we need to begin our journey by denying the impossible. We believe in God and thus whatever he calls us to do, whatever he commands us to do, he will give us the power to accomplish it. It's Christmas time. And we need to believe in the power of God and we need to believe in miracles. The Christmas story is nothing less than a miracle. The virgin birth, as I've said, is something amazing. And here in Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14, we have it telegraphed 700 years before the actual event. Isaiah anticipated the miracle. And as I'm going to show you here in a little bit, I want to connect what Isaiah has to say with the gospel of Luke, the first chapter. We're going to look at several verses in in these two chapters. One, we're going to look at Isaiah 7. And we're going to see Ahaz and King Ahaz and the time period from which the prophecy comes. I need to, I want to show you what that sprung from. It's very interesting. It's not what you think. And then we're going to go and look at Mary's situation and see how she received the news the news of the miracle of the incarnation. But ultimately today, let me just put this out to you. Every single one of you in this room, there's one of two ways you're gonna respond to the work of God in your life. You're either gonna respond as Ahaz did, or you will respond as Mary did, okay? So, so that's kind of our dichotomy today. Those are the differences that we're going to be examining as we go back and forth between the Old and New Testament today. We're gonna to see the miracle of Christmas, but we're gonna see it uh, being received in two different ways. You see, everybody in this room, your hearts will believe in something. You all believe in something, but I'm gonna ask you today, don't just settle for anything. Make sure that what you are believing is the truth of the gospel, the truth that will save you. So the first thing we want to talk about this morning is, is a really a question. Do you believe in miracles? Now I'm going to ask that question of you. Do you believe in miracles? I do. I, I do. I believe that God, God works miracles. I, over the years, I have had a front row seat several times to the work and movement of God, to see God move. I believe in miracles. But for a minute, uh, we need to think a little bit more broadly, okay? You know, and what will help us do that is, of course, Walt Disney. Um, so any... Any time that you watch a Disney movie, you know that, that very likely there's going to be uh, some kind of wish or there's going to be some kind of, uh, you know, magic or, or something of that nature. And people, people love that. People want to believe that there's something more than just what kind of happens and transpires in the world. Now, just a few weeks ago, Disney, uh, who was clearly not making enough money, they decided to release Disney Plus. Anybody know about Disney Plus? Anybody watching that? Like the day it comes out, there's a snowstorm. I mean, Disney controls the weather, okay? 
they're in control of the whole universe. We have not got it. And I want, I, I need some prayer. We have not got Disney plus because my wife is, is arguing for the Hallmark channel app. So we're deciding which one to invest in. And right now I think I'm losing because I'd rather have the Disney plus app and I just can't handle any more sappy stories from Hallmark. Okay. So please pray for your pastor. This is going to be a very difficult, difficult uh, Christmas if Hallmark wins. But anyway, um, Disney, Disney just is masterful at kind of tying into that childlike part of our existence that, that wants to see, you know, magic happen and the miraculous happen. And, and, and I'm making light of that, but it's interesting because what they call magic, I think the Bible speaks of in terms of the miraculous. I think there are times when, when human beings reach kind of the end of what they can accomplish and then God begins to show up and show us what he can do. Now, I want you to imagine, not in a Disney context, but in a real life context, uh, God or a spokesperson for God or even an angel of God comes to you and basically says, I'm going to give you whatever you wish. If you will ask it of me, no matter how low or high it is, I will give it to you. Can you imagine such a scenario? Well, that's kind of Isaiah 7. And I'll show you here in a minute what I'm talking about. We actually have an individual who is given this kind of an opportunity. He's in a a difficult place and God offers him a miraculous solution and we see him reject it. Now let's think about this for just a moment. The passage that I read to you from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 is again a very well-known Christmas passage. Most all the time, if you're going to read an Old Testament passage about Christmas, Isaiah 7, 14 is it. It's that passage that, that tells us that the Christ is coming and that he's going to be born of a virgin. So we know from the beginning of the story, before the story even happens in the time of Christ, we know that it's going to have a miraculous context. And you would think that such an amazing promise would spring from a time of great joy and happiness in the history of Israel, but the exact opposite is the case. When we look at Isaiah chapter 7, we see one of the darkest periods, one of the hardest times, and we see Isaiah, he's facing uh, not just a, a nation in decline, But he's facing a leader, his king, who has lost all hope and faith in God. In fact, what we see is that Isaiah, before he could see the beautiful picture of the virgin birth, he had to have his heart broken. He had to have his heart broken before he could hear the good news of the coming of Christ. Take a look, if you will, turn to Isaiah 7. And I'm going to run through this passage quickly. And I want you to see this because we need to realize um, not just Isaiah 7:14's amazing promise of the virgin birth, but we need to see how a miraculous sort of environment here is, is, is set And then rejected. So in chapter one, very quickly, let me explain what's going on. You have Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, and he is surrounded by or being attacked by two kingdoms from his north. One is is actually some of his own cousins, uh, the nation of Israel. So you had Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And then you had Damascus or Aram, as it's described in the text here. So Aram is Damascus and Ephraim is Israel in the passage in chapter one, or chapter seven, verses one and two. And that's what's happening. So they are attacked. Him. He is feeling very threatened 
And he, he becomes very worried, he and his people. Look at verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Okay, now get this. This whole prophecy is coming to us at a time of war, at a time when God's people are literally fearing for their lives. And so anytime, hear me out, anytime that you get into a situation where you know you you can't fix the problem on your own. You're going to do one of two things. You're going to start thinking, and this is what most of us do, and try to figure out a way out of the problem. Or if we're really wise, we will begin to pray and seek an answer from the Lord. Now, now Ahaz doesn't do the latter. He does the former. On paper, he does what is the most calculated and and safe thing, and that is he tries to get an ally. If you're a small nation and you are about to be attacked by two stronger nations, you're going to try to ally with another nation so that you can withstand the onslaught. That's what he does. He makes a deal with the Assyrians. Now, if you've been reading your Bible at all in the past, and, and, and many of us have and some of us haven't, let me just say this. The Assyrians were the bad guys of the Old Testament. They were not nice. They were not the kind of people who were fun at parties. No. You would not want them at your Christmas party because they would probably kill you. They were rough. Okay, the Assyrians were bad dudes. And here's what Ahaz says. He says, you know what? I'm just going to make a deal with the devil here because that's better than the country dying. That's where Isaiah comes in. And he says, the Lord is saying to you, don't do this. Okay, so he has his preacher, his prophet come in, verse four, and he describes these two enemies, Aram and Israel, describes them as two smoldering stumps of firebrands, which in Hebrew means they don't have any power over you. You, you don't need to worry about those two enemies. They are not your enemy. Here's the funny thing. Ahaz's greatest enemy had nothing to do with the, the political situation. His greatest enemy was in his heart, his lack of faith. And the prophet's trying to show him this in a very loving way. The people of Judah are shaking in their boots because they're not building their lives on God's truth. And when you aren't building your life on God's truth, you will shake too. Every problem that comes into your life will be such a big deal. You'll be overwhelmed by it. Um, It doesn't matter what kind of problem comes your way. You will feel flat-footed. You will feel overmatched because you're trying to fix the problems your own way instead of trusting in God. That's what's happening here in this text. A lack of faith on Ahaz's part has him fearing shadows. And if you do not trust in the Lord, you will fear shadows too. You will be fearing in the wrong direction. Ahaz is fearing in the wrong direction. And so when the man of God comes, and I can tell you, I've had a little bit of experience with this in the sense of being a a preacher and going into a situation like maybe in Jefferson City or, or when you're talking to people who are influencers and powerful people, you know, it's kind of interesting. You go in and, and you start talking with them and they find out you're a preacher and they go, oh, well, that's nice. How quaint. I didn't know people still did that with their lives. Religion, who knew? And so they'll, you know, they'll bring you in and have a conversation with you and everything. And they're trying to find solutions to poverty or, you know, solutions to the issues of the day. 
And, and they'll, they'll hear someone like me say, well, you know, spirituality is important. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to get back to biblical ethics, things like that. And then you, they, know, they don't say this, but they kind of look at you and, and notice this. This is what they do. They're there. They're there, pastor. That's really sweet that you're wanting to solve problems with magical prayers and, and, and ancient texts of scripture. That's really interesting that you would take that approach. They're there, but let the adults at the table come up with real world solutions. I'm serious. They, 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 they treat you as, as like, you, like you're, again, in a Disney movie, you're believing in magic or something. I, I fear that that's where the world has come. Now, it's not a new thing because that's exactly how Ahaz handles this. Here's a person who believes in his own brilliance. He still believes that his plan with Assyria is a better plan than God's plan that he wants to give Ahaz through, through Isaiah. Okay, this is all happening before verse 14 and the prophecy of the virgin birth. Verse nine, take a look at this verse with me. Here's what he hears. Here's what Ahaz hears from God. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Essentially, here's what God is saying. You have no future hope if your hope is not in me. And I want to say to you today, you may be the smartest person that you know. <laughs> you need to get out more. But anyway, um, you, you may have uh, the most money of anybody in, in, the, in the city of Springfield. That would be great. But if you do not have Christ, let me tell you the end game. You will die. And there's no more you after that. Okay, it's serious. You see, Ahaz is putting his faith in the things of this world, the mind that he has, the counselors that are around him, those who are not thinking about the God of heaven. You see, we need to be better than that. We believe that God has created us. Yes, physical, we're in a physical world, but there's also a spiritual side to us. There's the need for faith. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God doesn't say, get a better uh, um, ally. He doesn't say, build a bigger army. He doesn't say, save your money for a rainy day. He says, you need to have faith. And if you don't have faith, you have nothing. And I'm going to say that to you this morning. If you do not have faith in Christ, you have nothing to build your life on. That's what we see here in this ancient prophecy. It was true for Ahaz. It is true for you. Now look at verse 10. Here's where we see the promise of the miracle. The prophet Isaiah speaks a word from the Lord, a too good to be true kind of moment in life, but it is true. Look at verse 10. God tells Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. That's that Disney magical promise I was telling you about earlier. That is through the prophet, God is speaking and saying, listen, I want, I love you, Ahaz. You are a, a son, a grandson, a great, great, great grandson of David, whatever it was. I love you. I love my people. Ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign. Just have enough faith to ask for my help. That's a blank check, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine hearing an audible voice from God and God's just saying, I, I am real and I want to show you that I'm real. Put me to the test. Ask me for what you want and I'll show you. Wow. That's what we've got going on right here. 
And look how he responds. Yes, he is. Ahaz is of the house of David. But I want to tell you, though he is genetically related to David, he is spiritually not at all a son of David. His heart does not seek after God. Look at what he says in verse 12. I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And that sounds real religious and spiritual, but here's what he's saying. I don't believe, Isaiah, that you're speaking for God. I don't really believe that God wants to meddle with this, and I'm not going to put him to the test. He flat out rejects the promise of God. Verse 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah says, It's bad enough that a leader of God's people have been leading, has been leading God's people away from God, but now you're, you're not just wearying your people. You're not just wearing them out. Now you're even wearying God. What a terrible moment. Now we would think in this moment that, that this would be the time when the lightning bolt would come from the sky and, and wipe out David's house forever. It would seem in this moment that that's when it would all fall apart. But we know verse 14 is coming. That's the moment when God reveals the coming of the Christ. There's amazing grace in that. But right now, what I want you to do is fast forward with me to um, Luke chapter one. So turn in your Bibles there to Luke chapter one for a moment. And let's take a look at what's going on here. Now, I want to put Mary's situation right next to Ahaz's, okay? And, and let's, let's see how St. Luke puts it here. It's interesting to me. I think that really what we have, since Luke is referencing, I think, the, 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 the concept of the virgin birth, he's recording that. I have a feeling that he had this Isaiah chapter 7 passage in mind, and we see it play out completely differently. Now, let's look at the text here. In chapter 1, uh, verse 26, we see that now we don't have a man like Isaiah bringing the message from God. We have Gabriel. So we have an angel of the Lord. And he goes to the virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want you to skip down to verse 29. Now, now basically, um, verse 28, though, tells us that, that the angel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But verse 29 says she was greatly troubled at the saying. So, greatly troubled is, is a, a similar kind of feeling to fear. So Ahaz, in chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah, he was afraid because of the situation that he was in. And lo and behold, so is Mary. She too is afraid. She too is experiencing fear. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Well, the angel wouldn't have said, do not be afraid if she wasn't afraid. She was fearful. The same emotion now, God, as he speaks through Gabriel, is offering a miracle to her too. And it's very clear that Mary cannot fathom the offer or understand completely what the promise is. Look at verse 34. After, after he, she hears that she will bear a son and his name will be called Jesus, he'll be great, the son of the most high. All these amazing things that he's going to inherit uh, the throne of his father, David, all these amazing things. And she says in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now we know that Mary is saying that because it connects us with the prophecy of Isaiah. But just for a moment, think about Mary and think about what she's experiencing. Is she puzzled? 
Is she afraid? Yes. But notice her response and how different it is. In verse 28, we, we see that Gabriel says, you're the favored one. The Lord is with you. In other words, God's grace is upon her. Now look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And so she gets it. She's asking the question. She's asking a hard question. But if you look a little further down, she says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. So she hears this, this voice, she knows that she's favored and she says, let it be so. Her faith stood firm. So you have two individuals, okay, Ahaz the king, Mary, a daughter of kings. So you have a son of kings who becomes a king. You have Mary, who is a daughter of kings and yet a peasant woman. She's in a completely different uh, situation economically. We see the one letting fear remove him from the equation of the miracle. And we see the other receiving the miracle. Now, let's take a look at this. The God of miracles speaks and he delivers. So let's go back to Isaiah for just a moment. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter seven for just a moment. And as we look at this passage one more time, we need to think about how Isaiah was feeling here. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor and, and I preach uh, just about every Sunday. And I know what it's like to preach a sermon and not be listened to. Not that it's happening today or anything like that. But I do know the disappointment of telling someone, maybe not so much in this context, but I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and the Lord spoke to my heart. And, I, and I, I'm saying this very humbly, but the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you need to say thus and such to this individual. You need to warn them about the dangers. And I was faithful in doing that. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've watched people hear what I, I really believe was a word from the Lord spoken through me. And I've watched people do the exact opposite and suffer great consequences. It is a hard thing to watch people choose not to follow Christ. It's a hard thing. And so here in this passage of scripture, we see the down deep kind of hurt and pain that Isaiah would have experienced. He said the word of the Lord, he said it faithfully and it was rejected. So let me say this, I can preach the gospel faithfully every Sunday and you can listen to it every Sunday and you can reject it every Sunday. That is entirely possible. Here, Isaiah, he speaks the truth and that truth is not followed. But in the moment of darkest disbelief, the God of miracles speaks. This passage that I read to you is, is exactly what God's people need to hear. It's not what they deserve to hear. Now keep in mind, their chosen leader, Ahaz, has just rejected the miracle. God, by all that is fair, should just walk away from them and no longer be a part of the equation in the life of Judah. But that is not what happens. The God of grace in this moment of darkest disbelief speaks and says, therefore the Lord himself, notice this, God's not going to send another prophet. He's not even going to send just an angel, although we have an angel in Luke 1. But ultimately, the Christmas story is about the coming of God himself. He will bring his own self to the equation and he will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
The intricacies of this text are far greater than I can cover today. Some people think that the actual reference here is to Hezekiah because Hezekiah who comes soon on the hills of Ahaz ends up being a pretty good king. And so some people think that the, that the fulfillment was immediate, but I'm going to tell you there is no way as good as Hezekiah was that he was God with us. He was not Emmanuel. The only person that fits this description in this ancient prophecy of Isaiah is Jesus. We, we see that only Jesus could be the one that, that is described there in Luke chapter 1 as the God most high. Israel didn't need, Judah didn't need another good king that was flesh and blood. They needed a savior from heaven. And I am here to tell you that you do not need another president or another great leader in your, in your life, in the county, wherever in the state. You all, we all, we need a savior. We need God. We need his spirit. Now, if we think about it, God's grace uh, was also shining in, in Mary's day. And in the time of Jesus's birth, when Jesus was born, it was a dark moment it was a time when Herod the Great was willing to kill little children in order to, to hold up his kingdom. So in both instances, whether we're talking about a military threat in Isaiah's day and Amos's day, or, or just a tyrant there in the day of Mary, we, we see that God is always working. And Gabriel, the angel, he kind of picks up where Isaiah left off. He says in Luke 131, listen to this, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Once again, God speaking beautiful truth and miraculous hope in the midst of great darkness. No matter what your darkness is, Jesus is your light. In scripture, we do not have examples of people who are having this great life and then God just makes it better by revealing who he is. No, often what we see of people in very difficult places who seem to have their backs against the wall and that's when God speaks. Here we have it, my friends. We have two very different stories. And I'm going to tell you again, every single one of you are either going to follow the pattern of Ahaz or the pattern of Mary. Back in Luke chapter one, we are reminded again in verse 37 that we serve the God who is able to do impossible things. Ahaz would not ask for a sign. And so God gave a sign of his own. God said, you, 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 you wouldn't ask for anything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the sign that you need most. You didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you what you need. And you need the virgin to bear a son. The Hebrew word here is Alma. It's interesting that, that the writers chose that word. It is the only Hebrew word that fits the equation to a T. It is a word that references a young woman who's engaged and virtuous, but in this case, pregnant. Mary was a young woman. She was engaged to be married. She was virtuous and yet she was pregnant. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the virgin birth. God had set this up 700 years before and it was something that men like Ahaz couldn't have seen in that moment or even later on. And the reason why is because Ahaz, his mind was focused on the moment. 
all that he was thinking about was right now. So for you, it could be right now in this moment, you're thinking about a family situation. You're thinking about graduating college or, or maybe you're thinking about a, a job promotion or something going on in your life. Let me say this, those things are important. But like with Ahaz, if that becomes your main focus, you're going to miss the main miracle. We see in this passage that, that somebody is, is trying to be a good king and a good leader, but the best person that we can be is the person who surrenders their hearts to God. What we need to do is be like Mary and open our heart to say to God, I may not understand it all, but I will trust in you. You see, that's Mary's gift. It's not that she can figure out how a virgin can, can bear a child, can conceive a child. No, her strength is that she just says, yes, Lord. Ahaz and Mary both had open doors, but only Mary walked through it. And I think about many of you here today, that door is being opened to you. John chapter 10 and verse nine, our Lord says this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The bottom line is this, the miracle, the wish, the dream, it's not too good to be true. It's being offered to you. The enemy wants you to think, the devil wants you to think that it sounds impossible. But hear the angels say, for nothing will be impossible with God. This morning, I don't know what your path in life has been. But I do know that the only solution for the present and the future is Christ. The coming of the Christ, the birth of Jesus is what we celebrate here at Christmas. And I pray that you will walk through the door that he has opened by giving his life on the cross for your sins. The miracle of salvation is not a door for just the few or, or those who were raised in church or those who have the upper leg when it comes to knowledge of, of theology and philosophy. No, God is calling you. The door is open to the big miracle so stop telling God what can't be done and receive what God has done for you on the cross. Will, will you receive him? Again, Ahaz was offered a blank check and he said, no thanks. And I can't help but think that some in this room are being offered. Right now, the spirit is saying, it's time to follow Jesus. It's time to trust in him. And you're going to do what Ahaz did and say, you know what? I've got a better plan. I've got another way. You know, there's no firmness in that choice. There's only death. And Mary was a simple woman with a simple faith. And she said, Lord, let it, let it be so to me. Whatever you say, God, that's good enough for me. Receive Christ right now. Walk through that door and be saved. For with Christ, nothing is impossible. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.